All right, we are going to get into God's Word. So we continue our journey through the book of Zechariah. If you want to open up your Bibles to Zechariah, we're going to be looking at portions of 7, 8, and 9 this morning. Zechariah chapter 7. If there is anything that our church needs and any church needs, it's, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. We, we, listen, we have, heard, we have heard this said from this pulpit multiple times. Perhaps you're even saying we've heard this before. We need the Holy Spirit. The issue is we, we, are, in a, um, we are in a situation where something has gone terribly wrong in the church of Jesus Christ. We, we have continually and steadily for the past decades lost power. We've lost power. And by the way, men and uh, women of God have been saying this. They didn't just notice this six, seven years ago or, or this year. This wasn't like we woke up in 2017 and said something is, um, something's, wrong with the, something's wrong with the church. No, no. So, something has been terribly wrong for some time. And you can feel it even when you walk into a church. Our, our singing, we, we've, we've managed to make so many churches about singing. Listen, we love singing in this church. We, we love uh, the fact that we can lift our voices to God in song. That's a, that is a, a good and noble thing. But somehow we've turned so many services into concerts. And some of these songs that we are singing nowadays, they're unsingable. We've talked a lot in, uh, in this church about the difference between worship songs and concert songs. Some songs are, are perfectly, uh, they're perfectly okay, but they're not good in a church. They're not good for congregational worship. So we come in, we have more of a, more of a concert atmosphere because we think that that's what people that's what people want. And then we're afraid of sounding like old fuddy-duddies. Listen, we're not against drums. We're not against electric guitars. Listen, this was, we even sound uh, antiquated when we start talking about that kind of thing. Those battles were fought in the 70s. The fact that we're even still talking about that is absurd. But there was... Um, there was a sense in, in those days that people were not worshiping and singing with guitars and drums and all that because they wanted to be cool. It wasn't, it wasn't a matter of being cool. It was just a matter of those were the instruments that they were using. And so young people at that time were putting those instruments to good use and uh, were, were making songs to the Lord. Now there's a sense that it is about becoming more and more cool. And even sermons. It's like, how, how many stories can we tell? And, and our, eyes, our eyes glaze over when we just begin to read the Bible. The Bible says, our Bible, my Bible says, do not give up. Do not neglect the public reading of Scripture. So when we come into the house of the Lord, it's not for a slick concert and then a nice talk. 
but it's to hear the word of God with power, to sing the word of God in power. And yet something has, has gone wrong. And I said, Lord, what, what, is, what is going on? I can, I can sympathize with uh, David Wilkerson. I was recently talking to a pastor at conference about this where he said, I, I, I've asked the Lord, Lord, I'd like to get up and give a happy, clappy sermon. I'd like to just make everyone feel good for once. And yet every time I open up the book, I see joy all over the place, but I, I see that joy is not found. It's not found in the things that we're trying to find it in. It's found in really knowing God. It's found in really knowing Him. Really having a, a hunger for His presence. And no person can manufacture that. When was the last time we were on our face in the carpet weeping before the Lord? Not, not, not just because of a car payment or something like that, but because we were just hungry for the Lord. Lord, I, I, want, I want to know you. I, I really want to know you. I want to experience you, and I want to know your word. I want to be filled with the knowledge of truth. God, I, I don't want to just go through life empty. And yet that's exactly what we're seeing in so many so-called churches is just emptiness. Emptiness. And there was something terribly wrong in Zechariah's day. The, the people had been exiled. They had been scattered all over the place. The Lord had brought some of them back in this first wave. And the question was, what went wrong? What happened? I mean, how did, where, where, did, where did we go wrong in all this, Israel? Where did, where did we start to lose sight of what, the, of what the main issue was? How was it that we got to this point? How was it that we got to this point even in the church, empty churches all over uh, skepticism reigning everywhere. And the, the wrong answer is to say, well, we didn't do anything. We, we went to church. We, we did different things. It all seemed okay. It all seemed fine. Maybe it's God's fault. Oh, no, no, no. God, God forbid. May the Lord protect us, his church. May the Lord protect and preserve his church. So in this, um, in this text, the Lord, is, the Lord is talking to his people, and he's, he's having them reflect back on what happened. That's a good thing for us to do. It's a good thing. It's not just for nostalgic sake where we just say, um, we're going to look back what happened in the church in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. But the Lord really wants us to look back. In fact, this is what he tells uh, the, the people to do in Zechariah. Before he points them forward, he has them look back at what had happened, 
why it had happened. He wants, he wants them to think. Have you ever done that even about your own life, your own family? Just sit back and take a moment. We, we're so busy. We have so much going on all the time. Phones on and TVs on and Internet on. I almost think it would be a holy call from the Lord where he would just say, shut it all off for a little bit. Stop it. Stop, stop getting on all this stuff constantly. Whatever happened to just quiet? How about, how about praying like this? Lord, would you help us to live a quiet and dignified and godly life? Maybe it's because we're just empty people. And we haven't found yet what it is that brings genuine satisfaction and genuine meaning. Sitting in the presence of God, reflecting, talking with one another. We were in El Salvador. We didn't have a TV. It was glorious. And at nighttime, we did this really neat thing. We talked to each other. I know, it's a new concept. It's a new concept. You sit around, you actually look at a person and, and you talk, and we played games with each other. What happened to family meals? Sitting around just getting to know each other. And reflecting on our life, looking back and just thinking about all the good things God has done for us over the years. I thought I had lost my computer, my laptop, my precious laptop. And it had all sorts of stuff on it that I, I wanted, and I couldn't turn it on, and it was completely broken. The computer company was telling me that the, the motherboard had to be replaced, I think, for the second or third time. I didn't want them to erase everything. Anyway, um, was able to find this hard drive enclosure and able to suck everything right from the hard drive onto my new computer. So everything was saved. It was like a happy day in my office. I was just praising the Lord. But I came across this picture uh, from a, a few years ago when a tumor was found in Ethan's spine. He was just a little fellow. And we were at a we were at a soft softball game. Uh, playing for the church, and this picture was of Elder Frank squatting down. I would do it, can't right now, squatting down, and he was just laying his hand on Ethan's head. Ethan's cap was pulled to the side. There was a few other guys from the church all laying hands on Ethan, just praying, oh, God, heal him. Now I look at him today, and I think back to all the things that God has done in our life. totally forgot about that moment. I look back at that moment, I think, Lord, you were so faithful then. Remember the surgeon coming out as Crystal and I were clutching hands. What is he going to say? Is he going to say it was malignant, it was cancerous, or, or is it benign? And I still remember the surgeon's hands were trembling as he was talking to us, being so amped from the surgery. And the Lord is saying uh, to Israel, I want you to take some moment and reflect I want you to just sit back and I want you to think about what has what has gone terribly wrong in the nation, 
uh, why the people are not worshiping as they should, why God has brought discipline. He says in verse 5 here, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 5, he says, Say to all the people of the land and the priests, he's asking them this question, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh for those 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? Lord, we fasted, we did the things, we went to the church, we did all that stuff. Why did discipline still come? Why was it still empty? And the Lord says it's not just about you fasting. He's asking the motive for the fasting. When you fasted, why? Why did you fast? Was it because you were just told to fast? Well, this is what we do. We we fast. Christians have to fast. So what we do is we give up a meal or we give up a few meals or we give up a day's worth of food or whatever it may be. And that's simply what we do. And we do a fast, like saying the prayers or something like that. And the Lord is saying, when you fasted, did it really come to for a heart for me? Were you really hungry for me? That's why we give up food and fasting. We're saying, Lord Jesus, we're not just giving up food as a, as a magic trick. Lord, we are giving up food because what we are saying by giving up food is we are more hungry for you. Lord, we're giving up this meal because we want you to work in power. We want to know you. We want to experience your Holy Spirit. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We are coming to you in fasting and in prayer for you. And this is why Paul says, I can give my body to be burned. And there are people who are going to stand on judgment day who are going to say, God, you owe me something. Lord, I did all the stuff. I went to church. I fasted. Nothing happened. In fact, your discipline came. Lord, I said the prayers. Came down and prayed. I said prayer. I burned a candle. I did the stuff. I've been watching with great interest this documentary on the Vietnam War. What a war. And there was this picture of um, footage of a monk, a Buddhist monk, who in protest literally doused himself with gasoline. He said, something's going to happen uh, tomorrow in the, in the town streets. Huge, massive protest, thousands of people watching. As this boost, uh, a Buddhist monk, this is not metaphorical, this actually happened, sits down in front of all of these people watching, lights himself on fire until he's charred, dead, laying there in the streets. Then monk after monk started to do that. It became a thing, at least with some monks, where they would burn themselves with fire. If I give my body to be burned, if I go to church every day, if I go to the synagogue every day, if I go to temple every day, if I tithe of all that I have, if I sing all the songs and listen to gospel music, if I do all those things, if I help serve at the local homeless mission and give all sorts of food away. 
and yet I don't have the heart of Christ. I don't have his heart for the world. I don't have his heart. I've never tasted his heart. His convictions are not my convictions. Inwardly, I'm stewing against the things of God. I'm like Lot's wife, where I'm saying, I'll go, but I'm looking back. I'll do the stuff, but I'm not in it. My heart's not in it. My heart's not in it. God says, it's all a big zero. It's all nothing. I don't have his heart. I don't have his love. It is nothing. So he's asking, was it for me you fasted? And when you ate and drank, verse 6, did you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? So when you fasted, wasn't it really just about you? That's what he's asking. When you ate food and, and drank all the different drinks that you drank, wasn't it really just about you? It really wasn't for God's glory. God's glory was nowhere to be seen. Paul talks about the antithesis of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you flip over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 31. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whether you're fasting, whether you're eating, whether you're drinking, like Zechariah says here, whatever you do, do all to the glory. Do it all to the glory of God. You mean you can eat a pretzel to the glory of God? Absolutely. You can do math to the glory of God? Absolutely. So the Lord is asking this question. He's, he's saying, yeah, discipline came, but I want you to, first of all, I want you to, Think back. I want you to remember back. I want you to reflect on the past. And I want you to think about all this because God knows that the first excuse that is going to come is we fasted, we did all the religious stuff. And God is driving right to the heart of the matter. He's getting right to the motive and he's saying, was it really for me? Then in verse uh, 10, if you go back to Zechariah chapter 7, verse 10, he says this, Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against one another in your, in your heart. Here's the problem. You're doing religious activities without having a heart for me. And in the midst of your heart, you are devising evil against one another. That's what you're doing. You're plotting evil. That's what he's telling Israel. And then he goes back to the core of this. He say, well, where, where is it talking about the heart? Because I see what it's talking about here. I see it's talking about all, all the different stuff. And by the way, if you just do religious stuff without having a heart in it, uh, eventually you'll find yourself burned out and you're like, Man, I don't even need to do this anymore. This doesn't even work. And so God is asking about the heart, and he makes this very plain in verse 12 of chapter 7. Look at verse 12 of chapter 7. They made their what? Their hearts. They made their hearts diamond hard. Ooh, that's hard. That's rock hard. They made their hearts. Who made their hearts? The people of Israel made their hearts. Diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord. Listen to that, that they should hear the law. That they should really receive the words of the Lord, the words of Christ of hosts, the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. All the prophets we've been talking about, given word after word after word after word. 
And the people are saying, wouldn't you just lighten up for just a little bit? Just lighten up for a sermon. Would you stop preaching to us this stuff? It's interesting. It's the burden of the Lord that comes. And yet they make their hearts diamond hard. The word of the Lord is trying to speak. God is speaking through his, his servants, the prophets. And instead of the people receiving and listening, this is why the word of God to a believer, it's like water. You come in and we open up the book, the words of God, as we sang earlier, they give life. They feed us. And yet there are people who hear the word of God and instead of receiving it and having a heart that is pliable and teachable and open to the things of God, they make their hearts hard like a diamond. You think of diamonds as a beautiful thing. In this context, it's hard as a rock. And so instead of saying, Lord, I, I received from you, God, there's an area of my life you are speaking right to. You're speaking right to through your servants, the prophets. God, you, you are laying, you're convicting my life in a certain, in a certain area of my life, God. And instead of receiving that word, I say, no, 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 I'm not going to listen to that right now. Maybe it's lying. Here's the area of lying. You say, well, why, why do we mention lying? Because that's what it talks about here in the text. They're not telling the truth to one another. So God comes and he says, I'm speaking to you in the area of lying, devising evil in one's heart against another person. A vendetta against somebody else. Gossip. Treachery. We, we always... We always Talk about these big sins, and then everyone says, well, we didn't do that. We didn't kill anybody this week. We never killed anybody in our whole life, so we're okay. We didn't murder anyone, and we didn't rob the Turkey Hill. So we're okay. And God is saying, but I'm, I'm trying to drill down. I'm trying to, trying to speak to your heart about other issues in your life, and the question is, are you going to receive the word of God? Oh, God, I want to receive you. I want to receive what you're speaking to me. I want to hear your words, and I want to, I want to grasp them. I want to clench them close to my heart. What is it, what is it that the Lord is, is speaking to our heart, and he wants, to, he wants to perhaps put us on our face before him that he might heal us? So they didn't listen. They wouldn't hear. And yet, they were deeply religious. Deeply. Deeply religious. Listen, word to the wise, don't ever stand before the Lord, because we're all going to stand before the Lord someday. Like, really. And it's his words that are going to ring in our ears. We will never, ever be able to use the excuse, but I did everything, and where were you? I did all the religious things, Lord. Oh, don't, don't you remember? I, I did them. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. Let's look a little bit deeper. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. 
And it's all about you. It's all about you. The heart of worship, the giving of our heart to him. So what happened as a result? The Lord is having them reflect back over their lives and over their history as a nation, the fact that he had sent them prophet after prophet. By the way, didn't Jesus say the same thing? Jesus said, I sent to you the prophets. They didn't listen to the prophets. They didn't listen to Moses. They don't listen to them. They're definitely not going to listen to me. So as a result of this, God says, uh, I scattered them. I scattered you, Israel, verse 14, and I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations. What, is, what does God do to his people as a form of discipline? He says, I scattered them, uh, verse 14, with a whirlwind among all the nations that they had not known. Thus the land they left was desolate. Imagine leaving home. They have, they have now left home. Thus the land they left was desolate so that no one went to and fro. And the pleasant land was made desolate. The Lord then skips ahead and he says, listen, no, I'm, not, I'm not done. I have, I have scattered you, Israel. But someday I'm going to regather you again. And it's going to be a glorious time with harps in the sky and wings and clouds. No, no, no. That's not what he says. In fact, if that is the, the vision of the future, let us put that away from our minds as far as possible. I, I don't know of one person who ever wants to live on a cloud in the skies somewhere. Very interesting. Whenever the Lord talks about heaven, it's, it's talking about heaven coming down, this earth being recreated, and someday when Jesus comes back, there's going to be this thousand-year millennium. Oh, what, what a glorious time that's going to be. And Jesus himself is going to reign and rule from the city of Jerusalem. And the nations of the earth, the, the real nations of this earth, not some ethereal thing out there. That's not what we want. If, if that's what we were talking about, we should lock the doors and, and just leave. How, how awful that would be. He said, no, 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 I, I'm, going to, I'm going to do something wonderful. I'm going to come back and for a thousand years I'm going to reign on this earth. And then at the end of the thousand years he's going to rejuvenate and renew and restore this earth. It's going to be beautiful. Everything that Eden was, it's going to be back again and even greater and more beautiful. You say, I love this world. I love, I love blue skies. I love hot soup in the winter. I like green grass and sports. and I like relationships. I like talking to people in real bodies. If that's you, then heaven's for you. You're going to love heaven. Heaven on, heaven on earth. And so the Lord says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to regather Israel, and there's going to be this wonderful time called the millennium, this thousand-year reign of Christ. And he, he describes what's going on with some of the people who are living 
in this millennium. Look at verse 4 of chapter 8. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts. So now he's talked about the scattering. Now he's talking about the future regathering. He's going thousands of years into the future. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city, you mean the fake city? No, the real city. You mean with fake people? No, with real people. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. The sound of a city. I remember somebody talking about um, loving nature and the things that God has made, how beautiful they are, and they are. Aren't, aren't mountains beautiful and streams and oceans and all that? But then he was talking about that the most beautiful thing that God ever created was humans. The pinnacle of his creation was humanity made in the very image of God. And what a beautiful thought to think of old people again in this time of the millennium, sitting together in streets, cafes, porches, talking with each other. People of great age. There's this, there's this beautiful picture of... Uh, of this city and people talking with one another and the hustle and, and the bustle of everyday life, how, how wonderful this is. And then he says, the city shall be filled or full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Look down at verse 16, verse 16. He says in verse 15, he says, this is, this is what I have purposed and purpose in these days. What days? Those future days. Yes, there would be some fulfillment to this even after this prophecy in those days, but ultimate fulfillment of this passage will be yet future when Christ returns. So again, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear, fear not. And then he says exactly what's going to be happening during this time in verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come. People shall come where? To Jerusalem, to Israel during this profound time, this age yet to come, even the inhabitants of many cities. So people from Pennsylvania streaming to Jerusalem. You ever want to take a trip to, to Israel? If you, don't, if you don't make it uh, here in this life, uh, you can definitely make it in the millennium. People streaming from all over the world. Why? Because King Jesus is reigning and he is he's ruling there. So people from Russia and China and all of the nations of the earth, millions of people streaming to see what's going on in Israel. All of this is exciting. The inhabitants of many cities. And listen to what they're saying to each other. So we even get in on their conversation. So Jesus comes back and he's ruling and he's reigning from Jerusalem. And people are excited. They're saying, let's take a trip. Oh, we've settled, haven't we? We spent our whole life saying, I want to take a trip here. I want to take a trip there. And we go, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? And sometimes we're able to. We say, thank you, Lord, for the blessings. And other times we think, man, we have really missed it. We think of all these people with 
with uh, millions of dollars and the yachts and everything else. And we think if I could just be like that and I could sail in the Mediterranean, I could go visit Greece and then I could go over here and fl fly first class. Jesus says, just wait. Just wait. You haven't missed out on anything. He'll give you everything that you need for this lifetime right now. But there is, there is something else coming in the future. Now, here's what they're saying to each other as they are, as they're going to Jerusalem. The inhabitants of one city, verse 21, shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord of hosts and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Hey, you want to come with me? Let's go seek his blessing. You ever wanted the blessing of someone, a godly old man or a godly old woman? Their blessing? The blessing of somebody who's godly coming down and laying their hand on you and praying over you and saying, Lord, I bless this person in the name of Jesus. Whatever's going on in their life, Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come. Your will would be done in their life. Now, this is what is going on in the millennium. People are saying, let's go to Jerusalem. Hey, you want to come? It's exciting there. You think you've seen exciting. Wait till you see King Jesus and all of his glory. He's, he's unbelievable. He's indescribable. You want to go? People are excited. Let's go. Let's make a trip. We finally have the funds. I myself am going. And shouldn't this be the excitement with the church? Where are you going Sunday morning? Why? You seem to go every Sunday morning. I know it's every Sunday morning like clockwork. You go to that same building. Why? Hey, come with me. Why don't you come with me? Why don't you come experience what I've experienced? The love of God, the fact that Jesus Christ is alive today. It's exciting there. Right? I just tell you something very quickly. I, I live for church. I love church. Oh, that doesn't mean I wake up every Sunday morning just, you know, singing a hymn of glory or something. No, no. No, no. No, no. There's no greater place to be than with the people of God. Come, will you come with me? Will you come with me? You want to experience something awesome? You want to experience the presence of God? That's, that's exciting. It's greater than any concert. It's greater than any entertainment. It's greater than any TV show. It's greater than any movie. It's greater than anything on the Internet. It's greater. The presence of God. Why don't you come with me? People from all of the nations. What a beautiful text. Notice verse 22. You said, where are the nations? Well, verse 22. Many people and strong nations shall come. The nations of the world marching toward Jerusalem shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts in those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew. This is um, converted Israel. I'm talking about beautiful people, the Jewish people, right around in Kingston. You see the Jewish men and women walking around. Oh, doesn't your heart go out to them saying that they would know Jesus? Now, can you imagine in, in the millennium what it's saying here is that people are going to be going to Jews who have 
found Christ, and we're going to see this more clearly in Zechariah. There's a crescendo here of glory. Taking the the hold of a, a robe of a Jew saying, let's go with you. Where? To see King Jesus, to see the Lord, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. We want to seek the favor of the Lord. And I close with this. We know that he has talked here about this this scattering. We know why it's happened. It's happened because they had played religion. We know that's why it happened. That's what the text says. They went to church, but their hearts weren't in it. So they were scattered. Then the Lord goes to the future and he says, way off in the future, even for us, I'm going to regather my people, ethnic Israel. I'm going to put them back in the land, in the city of Jerusalem. Lord Jesus Christ is going to reign and he's going to rule in the city. And people from the nations of the world are going to stream there. But there's already even been a partial fulfillment of this text, even though we still await that future time. Thomas More writes this. He says, when this prediction was uttered, speaking of verse 20 through 23, he says, when this prediction was uttered, nothing seemed more hopelessly improbable than its fulfillment. So he's saying at the time of this prophecy, this seemed impossible. The Jews were a poor, despised, obscure tribe in the heart of Syria whose existence was only known to the mighty world by their furnishing a trophy to the victorious areas of Babylon. Greece was just riding in the firmament of human history. And as she ascended to her brilliant zenith, her track, was marked by the sweeping of the phalanxes of Alexander and the legions of Antiochus over the hills and valleys of Judea. And yet, this prophecy remained unfulfilled. Rome was then in the rugged feebleness of her world-nursed infancy and slowly continued to grow until she reached the gigantic stature in which she ruled the earth. And her conquering legions under Pompey again swept over the faded land and even desecrated the holy places. Five hundred years rolled away, and yet this prophecy remained unfulfilled. This prophecy of what? Let us go with you, the nation streaming to Jerusalem. Indeed, it seemed farther from fulfillment than it was than when it was uttered. But at length, The time arrived, and there came to Jerusalem men out of every nation under heaven. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and the dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judah, and in Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and in Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, 
all came up to Jerusalem to seek the face of Yahweh. And from the lips of a Jew, they heard words that caused them to cry out. Men and brethren, what shall I do? They scattered to their own homes again and carried with them the strange words that had so deeply moved their souls and been followed by these wonder-working men. There soon began to work a new life among the nations of the earth. And this life took hold in its origin in efficacy upon a Jew. Greece, with her polished dialectics, Rome, with her mailed mightiness, Asia with her, with her soft voluptuousness, all submitting to the authority of a savior who was a Jew. All rested their hopes for eternity upon a Jew and soon received as divinely inspired the words and writings of men who were Jews. And for nearly 2,000 years, the mightiest intellects and largest hearts of the race have breathed the spirit and studied the words of men who were Jews and have sought as the most precious boon of existence the privilege of being covered with a robe of righteousness that was wrought by the divinely incarnated hands of one who is the seed of Abraham after the flesh. Though as to his nature, God over all, blessed forever. And at this day, there are literally men of all nations, and kindreds, and tribes, and people who are laying hold of the skirt of him that is a Jew, and casting in their lot with those whom God chose to be a people for himself, and resting their hopes on that crucified Jew who is the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you, O oh God, that we would cast our lot in with this crucified Jew who is the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Lord, today by faith we are grabbing hold of your garments. We are saying, O oh Jesus, come again, rule and reign in our hearts. Lord, you're the one who brings excitement to our life. You're the one who brings joy to our hearts. You're the one who speaks truth to our souls. Lord, we thank you that the nations of the earth are hearing the gospel that began with a band of small, unsophisticated men and their leader who came from heaven, both God and man. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would grant us your eyes to see. We pray, Lord, as we think about this text, that we would reflect back on our lives and say, Lord, Help us, bring us back to you in the areas of our life that we've made about religion, God. Forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would put within us a divine expectancy for the future. Lord, that we would be looking forward to your return with great hope and anticipation. And that we would always thank you for what you've already given to us. This prophecy 
partially fulfilled already, even in our hearing. And we praise you, O God, our King, for Jesus' sake. Amen.